Welcome to Community Concepts on localjobnetwork.com radio, where we discuss the connection of jobs and the community. I'm your host, Azure Mahara, and today we're talking about why you should hire an ex-offender. Here with me today is my co-host, Jacqueline Peterson. Hello. And our in-studio guest, Maria Flores, a program manager at the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Welcome, Maria. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, thank you for coming in. So we brought you in today to discuss hiring ex-offenders because you serve the community with helping ex-offenders every day. Uh, why don't you start off by telling us what exactly the um, the EEOC, or the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, is? The EEOC is the key civil rights agency on the federal level that's responsible for enforcing the federal laws that do not allow employment discrimination. Okay, and what do you do there? What do I do personally? I work as a program manager there, and my responsibility is outreach, education, and technical assistance. We want to provide information to workers so that they are aware of their civil rights when it comes to employment discrimination. And we want employers to have the tools and the resources to, frankly, stay out of trouble. And, of course, we're always available to share information with the general public, again, to help everyone understand and to prevent employment discrimination. So with that being said, what types of employers are covered? covered by the federal laws enforced by the EEOC. Generally speaking, we're talking about employers that employ 15 or more people. And on the federal level, we're talking about private employers, be they a mom and pop restaurant in your neighborhood or a large employer, educational institutions, labor organizations or unions, as well as their labor management apprenticeship and training committees. We also cover employment agencies or temporary staffing agencies, as well as state and local governments, be it city, county, or state. And um, kind of going right off that question, what type of workers are covered? This would cover a wide variety of individuals. It could be a current employee. It could be a temp employee, again, working through the temporary staffing agency, a job applicant. It could even be an ex-employee. So maybe they have a complaint against a former employer. As long as they come to us within a timely frame to file a charge, we'll be able to accept that. And it can also cover undocumented workers. So regardless of what country the person is born in, they're working here in the United States for an employer of 15 or more employees, these individuals have the right to no employment discrimination and the right to bring complaints forward with our agency. Sure, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So in what employment scenarios might employment discrimination occur, just to sort of give our listeners an idea of what we're talking about today. Sure. Some of the major topics that we see at EEOC could be issues that even start on the very beginning, on the front line. That would be hire, failure to hire, not getting hired because of a protected category. It could be termination, wages, promotion, demotion, harassment, be it sexual forms or non-sexual forms like racial harassment. It could be any different terms, conditions, or benefits in employment, whether it's training or leave or benefits. And we also deal with issues where employers do not provide an accommodation because of disability and religion. And one of the things I wanted to emphasize before is that when we're talking about this different treatment or negative treatment that causes employment discrimination, we're talking about something very specific, talking about different treatment because of certain personal characteristics that we hold as human beings. And under the laws that we enforce, meaning no employment discrimination because of your race, color, sex, religion, national origin, age, disability, pregnancy, and genetic information. Okay. And then protected classes, obviously, that is that category. But what women, minorities, persons with disabilities, veterans, are those also? Those could also be subcategories. What about sexual orientation? Is that? Sexual orientation, flat out speaking, is a protected category under state law. Okay. All right. That prohibits discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation, be you gay or straight. 
On the federal level, we have new interpretation regarding gender identity or LGBT with how people are perceived and the negative treatment towards that person. So maybe a person in the workplace may have a way that they stereotype how a man should behave. And when they see a man not behaving in that stereotype and discriminate against that person, it may be something that could be covered for us. What are the outreach educational or technical assistant programs that you guys have? And is there a charge for any outreach and educational programs with the EEOC? I divide this both into our free or no-cost outreach and education and fee-based training. And a good part of the work that we do is no cost. So when we're talking about outreach and education, we have representatives that will go out at no cost. We will make presentations to the public, participate in meetings, conferences, seminars, be it worker groups, employer groups, professional associations, students, nonprofit organizations, etc. And often we have bilingual staff that are also able to provide these presentations. We also have free information such as publications on our website as well as a lot of guidance and at any time we encourage employer representatives to contact the EEOC directly for the technical assistance and that's where I come in. I take the phone calls from employers. It may be human resource people, supervisors, managers, they have a question about EEO law, about employment discrimination and we may be able to help those individuals over the phone. Now when they're calling in and, and sort of sort of picking your brain, are they just wanting to make sure that they're not in violation? So they're asking you types of questions just to make sure that they're following the regulations and the laws? Is that that could be one of the questions that they're asking. Okay. You know, what does the law say about this situation? Or maybe they haven't the foggiest idea where to proceed in this situation. We may be able to offer them further assistance. So that's our free outreach and education. We also have fee-based training opportunities. This can include uh, webinars that you take part on during the com- on a computer. We have formal seminars that may be one or two days in length. We're going to have one, for example, in the Milwaukee area in May or June. And we also provide on-site training for a fee. So employers may come to us. They say, hmm, it's too expensive for us to send 100 employees, you know, to another city and pay X dollars in registration fees, plus hotel costs, transportation costs. EEOC, can you come to us and provide the training that we specifically are looking for? And we refer to that as fee-based training. So those are the types of options we offer both on the no-cost aspect and on the fee-based aspect. And then for the webinars, do you, are those at no charge or do you charge for? There is a fee for that. Uh, Some of the webinars are live. Uh, Some of our webinars are archived and those are offered at a lower price. Okay. And if um, employers wanted their employees to check that out or anybody, would they just go on your website or? For the fee-based type training, whether it's webinars, seminars, or the on-site training, you can also go to the website. You can look up where our training seminars are taking place nationwide. If an employer is looking for on-site training, then I would be the person they would contact. And I'm also the contact, of course, for the no-cost outreach and education. Yeah, this might be a good time to (laughs) throw out the the website and the contact information. Sure. Our website is www.eeoc.gov. Again, I'm the person with respect to outreach, education, and fee-based training. And my direct line here in Milwaukee, oh my God, a government official offering a direct line, (laughs) is area code 414-297-3594. And for individuals still using TTY, that number is 414-297-1115. And in this world, email, and you can reach me at Maria, M-A-R-I-A, dot flores, F-L-O-R-E-S, at E-E-O-C dot G-O-V. 
Thank you, Maria. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and would a work that would be the same contact information a worker would get in touch with you? No, actually, the workers would have a different phone number to contact, and that would be our main phone number. So workers who may have a complaint of employment discrimination, want to learn more about what it is, and may be interested in filing a charge of discrimination, can reach us toll-free at 1-800-669-4000. Our TTY number is one 800 669 68 Individuals may also email us at info at eeoc.gov, being sure to include their state and their city so that we can refer that inquiry to the proper office. One thing I wanted to note, though, for workers who may be interested in filing a charge of discrimination, there are time limits to filing a charge in a timely manner with our agency. Generally speaking, we're talking about 300 days from the last date of the discrimination. In some cases, it may be 180 days. So it's always in a worker's best interest to contact us as soon as possible so that we can educate them, and if we need to, begin that process to file a charge. Do not need an attorney, and there is no charge huh? in That's filing a complaint with the EEOC. You know, that kind of wrapped up a lot of, a lot of information just now in exactly you know, what you do and the things that if anybody was discriminated against or if a company wants to learn more, um, some great information. But the reason why we brought you in today in particular was to talk about um, why an employer should hire or, say, invest in um, persons who have previously offended the law. But before we dive into that, tell our listeners the general type of offenders you you would work with, um, because I think it's fair to say that many of us immediately think of the extremes when someone breaks the law, but there's not really always the, the spectrum here. So what are the most common types of offenders that you would assist or work well, with? Well, for our agency, we may actually be dealing with offenders who are presently incarcerated. And that may be visits, let's say, to a county correctional facility. Um, There may be individuals who have been incarcerated for more serious offenses. These may be individuals that were educated, let's say, in state correctional facilities. We also educate ex-offenders. So these are individuals who may be released by correctional facilities. And they are being served by, let's say, community-based organizations, advocacy groups, faith-based entities. And often these organizations will invite us to come and speak to the ex-offenders who are in the programs that they offer. We also, of course, on the flip side, are providing the same type of information to employers about dealing with offenders and ex-offenders. Again, the various variety of employers I'd mentioned before, quite often looking at private, state or local, sometimes small businesses, and again, very different organizations working, again, with both the offender and ex-offender communities. Employers are going to have different opinions about hiring ex-offenders and not ex-offenders. Do you, in your educational programs or if you're speaking to them, do you talk about, you know, the process of hiring them or rest any of their insecurities about it or what could just give us like a glimpse because I know our employers out there listening right now who probably could use some of um, the resources and thinking that they could add value to the organization but there might be just a bit of hesitation about that. Certainly. Generally speaking, there have been all kinds of articles out about the baby boomers retiring, for example, about a lack of skilled workers in certain trades, for example. And I've read these articles myself in our old Milwaukee Journal Central newspaper and other national publications. And for an employer to at least consider employing an ex-offender may be advantageous to them in the sense that they can create a bigger pool of diverse applicants. 
And maybe in this day and age, especially when it comes to individuals with a skilled trade, you don't want to cut off a potential avenue for, uh, for you to tap into that. And often these ex-offenders may be individuals who do come with some of these skills. I know for a fact that within the Wisconsin Department of Corrections, they have pre-employment programs which can focus on job skills or employability skills. And sometimes these individuals will get training in, let's say, welding or masonry, um, other things would be auto detailing, uh, cabinet making, office software. So they are leaving the facilities with some type of skills. That's great. So and then that, that just gives employers an idea, you know, they've got some training, they can add value. Um, and it, like you said, it could open up their pool of candidates. That's correct. Now, as far as the EEOC goes, um, where does your department have resources um, to specifically help ex-offenders find employment? Well, the EEOC specifically isn't a place to find a job, generally speaking. A lot of people actually think that's what we do, and that's not what we do. (laughs) And so people will call up saying, well, I don't see your listing of job opportunities for the general public, though, of course, we do have people interested in working for the EEOC. Uh, But there are other organizations that can help both ex-offenders as well as employers. All right. And with regards to hiring the ex-offenders, uh, one of these organizations is the Word of Hope Ministries located right here in the central city in Milwaukee. Um, they have received over two million in federal grant money to provide these training opportunities uh, to ex-offenders. So, again, the Word of Hope Ministries, they are a faith based nonprofit agency and they provide services in terms of mentoring, employment training, and placement and case management to individuals in uh, pre release and post release programs, again, funded by the U.S. Department of Labor. And they are working again to help these ex offenders, and they're also working with employers to match them up with an ex offender. If individuals are interested in contacting um, the Word of Hope Ministries, the person there to contact is uh, Melvin Pugh, an employment specialist, specifically dealing with the employment type opportunities. And his phone number is 414-447-1965. Another organization that works with ex-offenders would be the Benedict Center, also located here in downtown Milwaukee. They mostly focus on women offenders and ex-offenders, providing them with a variety of services. Um, The Benedict Center may include things like their Success Works program, helping individuals like how to fill out a job resume, how to uh, hone their interview skills and the like. And they also provide some type of programming for some of the underlying issues that offenders and ex-offenders may face, such as AODA treatment programs, stress management, etc. The Benedict Center's phone number is 414-347-1774. And that's great that there's organizations out there that are seeking maybe ex-offenders to come to the organization, and then there's those organizations that are helping them with that. Just for maybe a tip for those employers that are listening right now, if their criminal conviction relates to the job, let's say, is that a situation to avoid for, let's say, the employee, the potential employee as well as the employer? Can the employee truly be rehabilitated? Well, I can't speak to rehabilitation efforts because I'm not an expert in that particular okay. uh, venue. But I can say the following. There are state laws that deal with the use of arrest and conviction records. Again, this would be enforced by the Wisconsin Equal Rights Division. And under state law, an employer is not required to employ an individual where their criminal background substantially relates to the position in question. In other words, the employer is not required to put someone in a position that would make them more likely to reoffend. Okay. I could go out on a limb here. Let's assume you have a person who's been convicted of embezzlement. I might assume this may not be an individual that I want to place in a banking position or an accounting right. department. 
right? So like common sense stuff. <laughs> I would say common sense. Okay. Common sense. And would you use that same common sense when it comes to looking at how long ago the conviction occurred? Well, for the EEOC, now that you brought that up, the EEOC in April of 2012 had issued our new guidance regarding the use of arrest and conviction records and how it may be applicable under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. We have had a previous guidance that was issued some 20 years ago it has now been updated, and we have a couple of concerns about employers when they use arrest and conviction records. Certainly, employers are not prohibited from looking at someone's uh, criminal record or using that information, but we want to make sure that employers don't use it in a discriminatory fashion. Right? So, for example, one of the concerns we have is whether or not there may be what we call uh, disparate treatment. This would be an intentional type of discrimination. An example of that would be you have an employer, an applicant with similar criminal background records, but the employer treats their record differently because of those protected classes I had mentioned. Let's say race, for example. So maybe you have uh, John, a white applicant, Robert, a black applicant. They both graduated from state university. They're both applying for the same job, similar skills, education, experience, and unfortunately, they had both pled guilty uh, to possessing and selling marijuana during their high school years. But since then, no problems with the law. And you get to the interview stage, and uh, the person who is reviewing these applicants decides they're not going to refer Robert, our blackmail, on to the next stage for interview because we don't need those drug-dealing types around here. Mm. But when it comes to John, our white male applicant, they may say, oh, yes, let's move him on to the next stage for interview. You know, that was just a youthful indiscretion, and he's really shaped up since then. So that would be an example of what we refer to as that disparate treatment or intentional type of discrimination. But a lot of people seem to think that discrimination is always in-your-face discrimination. It may not always be that way. So another form of discrimination that we see at the EEOC is called the disparate impact, also known as adverse impact discrimination. And what happens is you have a policy that seems neutral, applies to everyone, but this neutral policy or practice disproportionately negatively impacts people of a protected group more than others, and the employer is not able to support that policy or practice for a business necessity reason. It's a job-related, consistent with business necessity. And this potentially could happen when we're, you have employers who are considering criminal records in their decision-making process. So if an employer is going to say, for example, we really don't want to employ any type of person with a criminal record in our position, they really need to make sure that they establish that job-related and consistent with business necessity reasons. And one of the ways they need to do that is an individualized assessment. And that can include what you had brought up, how long ago did the offense take place? Sure. So something that happened in the past two years may be more relevant than something that happened 20 or 30 years ago. What's the nature of the crime? How is it related to the position in question? And on top of that, aside from the individualized assessment, we also now have notification. So when the employer excludes the person from employment because of their criminal record, the employer needs to go back and advise that person and provide them with an opportunity to explain why they should not be uh, excluded from the decision. In other words, you know, what argument can they make that they should, should still be considered for the process? I can give you an example of that latter yeah. one because it's kind of hard for people sure. to wrap their heads around that neutral-sounding uh, type of discrimination. Let's say, and this happens a lot, I have a lot of friends who are out there looking for jobs and everything is online. 
Sure. Right. I, I hear no more paper resumes. You know, <laughs> when's the last time I've applied for a job? It's all <laughs> online. So someone's applying for a job online. They're answering all the questions. And up pops a question that says, have you ever been convicted of a criminal offense? You answer yes. And then a screen pops up. Thank you for applying. At this time, we are no longer able to further consider your application. Oh. And that's the end of the person being able to apply for the job. Well, in this particular case, the person has not been what? haven't been notified that they've been excluded. And on top of that, there hasn't been what? The individualized assessment. Sure. So you may be thinking, well, what does any of that have to do with employment discrimination? Well, unfortunately, because of disparities in sentencing or incarceration rates, we may have individuals, often individuals who are people of color, who may be incarcerated at higher rates than other individuals. And where the employer can't establish this uh, job-related or consistent with business necessity explanation, and it looks neutral, we exclude everyone, Mm -hmm. black, white, Catholic, Protestant, male, female, over 40, under 40, it may inadvertently hurt more people, let's say, communities of color because of these higher incarceration rates for, let's say, blacks, uh, Hispanics, or Native American Indians. I realize I was rather long-winded, no, no, that, but that you know this is the updated guidance that right. EOC has there, and we do have it on our website in excruciating detail. Marie, we sort of talked about skills a little bit earlier, and I want to sort of circle back to that. Specifically, what type of skills can a convict learn while incarcerated? Because I'm sure our employers out there want to know, you know, where are they getting trained? What sort of value are they going to be adding in? And maybe hone in on those skills. Well, generally speaking, from the people that I've interacted with, this could include um, advocacy organizations or individuals on county or state, federal level. There are obviously educational training that's going on. These are individuals uh, who may not have their GED, for example. And so they're getting that type of education there. They may be learning soft skills, such as how to conduct themselves during an interview, showing up on time, all those other things that people don't think about, uh, computer honing skills, for example. And as I cited previously, there may be some of these hands-on type of opportunities for offenders, um, the welding, uh, masonry, uh, other types of things. So they are learning a skill. That's pretty cool. I mean, those, I mean, having obviously worked at the local job network, localjobnetwork.com, we have a lot of positions for welders, machinists, Mm -hmm. computers. I mean, across the nation, too. Yeah, across. Um, so that's that's really great to know. And let's talk about liability insurance a little bit. Um, how can this impact the hiring ex-offenders and what are the costs of that? I'm going to assume for a moment that employers may be concerned about hiring individuals with a criminal record and whether or not they may be type of uh, exposing themselves to theft or embezzlement or something like that. Now, through the federal bonding program, which is funded and administered by the U.S. Department of Labor, Fidelity insurance bonds are available to uh, indemnify employers for loss of money or property sustained through the dishonest acts of their employees. For example, the theft, forgery, larceny, or embezzlement. So there's some type of uh, protection there for employers okay. when they consider hiring the ex-offender. That's good. And um, there's that's not the only benefit that the government or they're, they're a benefit for the company. Um, there's some other ones from the government. What are those? Well, another one would be the work opportunity tax credit. And employers can save money on the federal income taxes in the form of a tax credit incentive through the work opportunity tax credit program by hiring ex-felons. Now, an ex-felon under this program is an individual who's been convicted of a felony under any statute of the United States or any state and has, has a hiring date which is within one year from the date of conviction or release from the prison. Side note, I am not a complete expert on this topic. <laughs> and where I'm gathering this information from is from the Federal uh, Interagency uh, Reentry Council. 
So uh, an Attorney General Eric Holder had convened this initial meeting of this interagency reentry council. It brings together numerous federal agencies to make communities safer, assist those returning from prison and jail and becoming productive taxpaying citizens, and to save tax dollars by lowering the direct and collateral cost of incarceration. EEOC is a member of this federal interagency reentry council, and this council has prepared a number of myth busters that's available to the general public to let them know what are the myths about ex-offenders in various different things, whether it's housing or employment or uh, SNAP or TANF, whatever the case may be, employment. And this is, again, to help educate the public about that. So some of the information that I'm sharing with you, for example, the tax advantage to employers or the fidelity bonding for employers, this information can be found on these myth fact buster sheets that are offered by the Federal Interagency Reentry Council. So speaking of myths that come along with hiring ex-offenders, are there any you'd like to bust? Uh, well, for my interactions, again, dealing with offenders, ex-offenders, and the organizations that provide programming, a good majority of the offenders, this is my personal impression, interacting with them as we do outreach, is that they do want employment. And I think for any of us, some of our value as a person here in the United States is to be able to work. An mm -hmm. offender also wants an opportunity to work and to be able to provide for their families. That also goes to self-worth. Sure. Right. And, um, you know, we're going to start wrapping up here, but how would an employer go about seeking uh, former offenders? Is there any websites or organizations um, to connect with? Yeah, we know you talked about um, a couple that. Yeah, you, yeah, you want right. to. Uh, the Word of Hope Ministries may be an uh, opportunity or a venue for the employer to find out who these employer uh, ex-offenders are. Um, there is an organization called the Milwaukee Reentry Network, also educating employers. In fact, within the past couple of months, they had had their first employer summit, which was all day long, bringing a lot of speakers to educate employers about employing ex-offenders, and that could be another potential resource for employers trying to find qualified ex-offenders. Yeah, and I know that, um, you know, working with Community Concepts and um, a lot of organizations throughout the community, if, you know, if this, we're talking locally right now for um, some of those organizations, but feel free to go online uh, if you happen to be in a different state and you're listening and just, you know, just Google it. That would be my, <laughs> my advice to try to find some similar organizations. But can, do you want to give off the, the EEOC information one more time for our listeners if, if anybody wants to find out more information? Certainly. Again, our website is eeoc.gov. A wealth of information is found there. Workers with complaints can reach us at 1-800-669-4000. Anyone who's interested in our no-cost outreach and education or to find out about our fee-based training are invited to contact me directly, Maria Flores, Program Manager, EEOC Milwaukee Area Office, and my direct line is 414-297-3594. Well, thank you so much, Maria. Um, employers, feel free to to get in touch with her and, um, you know, get, get out there and employ, employ a diverse network of job seekers. And that wraps up our time today. Um, thanks to my co-host, Jacqueline Peterson, and again, our guest, Maria Flores from the EEOC for coming in and talking with us about hiring ex-offenders. And listeners, if you have any ideas for future topics on Community Concepts, please email me at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Again, I'm Azure Mahara with localjobnetwork.com radio, and thanks for listening.